0: Section 2 of The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 3, December 1895. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Recording by Julie Burks. The Black Cat, Volume 1, Number 3, December 1895. Section 2 The Interrupted Banquet by René Bosch. Though quite familiar with the street, I could not remember having seen that particular house before. My recollection had been that there was a vacant lot just there, but I must have been mistaken, for the dwelling before me was substantial enough, though old-fashioned, with high front steps and large windows. A trifle out of repair it looked, by the way, and I even noticed that two or three panes of glass were gone, on the whole, the mansion presented a somewhat mournful appearance, as if fallen from an old time respectability into a condition of decay and decrepitude. I am sure that it would never have occurred to me to enter, had it not been that the young lady who accompanied me turned and deliberately mounted the steps towards the front door. Of course, I followed. She did not ring the bell, for, in truth, there seemed to be no bell to pull but the portal was noiselessly thrown wide from within, and we entered. I looked in vain for the servant who, I supposed, would receive our cards, but to my surprise Mabel walked straight ahead through the wide hall without hesitation, appearing quite familiar with the place. There should have been a light, I thought, though it was only two o'clock in the afternoon, for the interior of this strange mansion was very dark, and I could only make out in an indistinct sort of way the faces that looked down upon me from some old portraits obviously fine works of art as i passed mabel had introduced me to most of her friends for we had been engaged for six months and were to be married very soon but she had never spoken to me of these people who perhaps were rather out of the fashion and had been forgotten as these reflections passed through my mind we ascended a broad staircase to the second floor, and then it was that I heard a sound of revelry, which came from a room which I correctly judged to be the dining room of the house. The heavy oaken doors of the room were slightly ajar, and through them was cast a strong beam of light that fell full upon an object which startled me for an instant. It was a headless human figure. A second later, I smiled at my own alarm, and as much as the figure was nothing, but a suit of old armor without the helmet. If I had had a chance, I should have questioned Mabel in order to make sure that our unannounced entrance was not an intrusion. Also, I might have asked why, after starting out for a day's yachting trip, we had returned so early and for so strange an entertainment. But either query would have been out of place just then. Very likely, I thought, she had some surprise in store for me, a lunch party, may be arranged by some friends in our honour, for quite a series of dinners and other entertainments had been given to us in celebration of our engagement. Moreover, all that I have related took place within less than a minute and a half, and in another moment I found myself in the large and brilliantly lighted dining-room. If the rest of the mansion was dark, there was no lack of illumination here. I was fairly dazzled by the numerous lights clusters of which arranged in silver candelabra helped to adorn a long table at which twenty-five or thirty people were seated there were flowers in profusion with a great display of silver and cut glass to my astonishment not one of the people present seemed to take the slightest notice of our entrance near one end of the table were two vacant chairs together mabel quietly took one of them and i deeming the time hardly proper for an explanation seated myself in the other soup was immediately placed before us evidently we were not very late and i took two or three spoonsfuls of it it struck me as being singularly tasteless the courses followed each other in the usual mechanical fashion what there was to eat i do not remember with any distinctness for i was so absorbed in wonder and in studying the other guests that I took little notice of the viands. Opposite me was a funny-looking old lady in white silk, cut low at the neck to such a degree, I thought, as would have been more appropriate to a younger and plumper person. I particularly recall the fact that she wore camellias in her hair, a fashion which I had heard of as belonging to a generation ago. It was palpable, too, that her front hair was false. Withal, she was most agreeable, and amiably disposed, as I presently discovered from her conversation. She was the first person who addressed any remark to me, abruptly making some inquiry about my grandfather, and stating in the same breath that she was from Philadelphia. At her left sat a gentleman of rather more than middle age, as I judged, with a remarkably pink nose and a great expanse of shirt-front, who was devoting himself so assiduously to his plate that not a word escaped his lips. On the other side of the old lady with the camellias was an extremely thin man, with a peaked countenance, who so strongly reminded me of an undertaker that I felt almost tempted to ask him a question or two about the state of the market in respect to coffins and other funeral equipments. His necktie was black, and likewise his hair, while his expression was one of extreme solemnity. Mabel was seated at my right, while on my other hand was a buxom matron of forty or so, who manipulated knife and fork with an activity that suggested a most excellent digestion. Among the guests these were the first whom I noticed particularly. As I looked along the table I was rather surprised to find that not a face was known to me. There was a cadaverous-looking young man with a prematurely bald head whom I pointed out to Mabel, asking who he was for I had noticed that a sign of recognition passed between them. My brother, she replied quietly, and as I imagined, sadly. Now this was a surprise, for I did not know that Mabel had a brother. Perhaps, I thought, he was not an especially estimable youth, and so was ignored by her family. If that were so, why should he be present on this occasion? Here was another puzzle to be solved when a suitable opportunity offered for questioning my fiancée. On the left of Mabel's brother was a remarkably pretty, though very pale, young lady, who wore in her hair, oddly enough, what looked to me like a bridal wreath. But the handsomest woman present was she whom I supposed to be our hostess. She was of regal presence, and with her velvety eyes and coronet of black braids resembled a Spanish senorita. Though I had never seen her before, I took it for granted that she must know who I was, and repeatedly i tried to catch a glance from her but it was in vain for her conversation and attention were addressed almost exclusively to an elderly man on her right apparently a foreign diplomat as half a dozen orders glittered upon his breast at the other end of the festive board sat a gentleman with a huge grey moustache presumably our host i heard no remarks from him save now and then a request to pass the decanter addressed to one or another of the guests near him. I had no opportunity for speech with him, inasmuch as Mabel and I were divided from him by almost the length of the table. On the whole, the affair struck me as entirely extraordinary. Here we were, myself completely a stranger, at a banquet in a house which I had never visited before, indeed, had it not been for Mabel's assurance of welcome, and the two seats apparently reserved for us. I should have supposed that we had made some mistake mabel herself was singularly silent though ordinarily quite talkative and even jolly and offered no explanation of the situation but perhaps what astonished me more than anything else was my discovery some time after we were seated at the table of a young man some distance away who bore a striking resemblance to my chum at college upon my word i was on the point of shouting at him across the board in fact the words why bill old man how did you get here were on my lips when i checked myself in time owing to a remembrance of the fact that bill had been dead for eight years having met a most untimely fate in a railway disaster while engaged in wondering whether the young man could be a near relation of my former chums i was startled at seeing a telegram in the familiar western union envelope laid beside my plate some people Notably, stockbrokers and newspaper men are accustomed to telegrams, and for that reason are not alarmed by them. But habit had not rendered me thus callous, and with some haste I tore open the envelope and glanced over the contents. It read: Mabel died this morning of acute congestion of the lungs. Amelia Parker. I declare that I trembled as if I had a chill. If Mabel had not been by my side, I should have been overcome by the shock. Holding the telegram before Mabel's eyes, I exclaimed in a voice that trembled with conflicting emotions of horror and anger, This is carrying a practical joke too far. Here, some brainless wretch telegraphs me in your mother's name that you are dead. Careless of the almost frenzied energy with which I spoke, I looked around upon the faces of my fellow guests, as one does who is confident of sympathy. To my amazement, in response to my speech there arose a cackle of laughter which was presently transformed into a general ripple of mirth and such mirth the like of it i had never heard before and please heaven i hope never may again it was not like real laughter but rather the empty and strident cackinations of beings lost to the feelings of humanity pale with anger i rose to my feet and steadying myself with one hand on the back of my chair exclaimed, What does this mean? Dead silence was the only response. Conversation had ceased, but I felt that every eye was fixed upon me. Aghast, I looked at Mabel, but she did not return my gaze. At length the old woman with the camellias in her hair, who sat opposite, addressed me, saying, Why do you think that Mabel is not dead? Good! "'God!' I replied. "'Here she is. Don't you see her? "'What do these people mean?' The old woman grinned and waved her feather fan at me, playfully saying, "'Ask her if she isn't dead.' I turned to Mabel in wonderment, but she only shook her head sadly. "'Why, of course she's dead,' said the old woman. "'Don't you know that all of us here are dead?' "'Indeed, yes, we are all dead,' cried the other guests in general course this is getting beyond patience i exclaimed you too are pleased to joke with me but i tell you frankly that i fail to see the fun of it perhaps since you possess such a fund of humour you will be telling me next that i am dead also then came that laugh again i shall never forget it beginning with a cackling titter it spread until the whole table was in a roar making my very flesh creep then all at once it ceased again there was dead silence. "'Certainly you are dead,' said the old lady with the camellias. "'She's dead, and all of us are dead. She died this morning of acute congestion of the lungs, but I have been dead for these twenty years, and he too,' indicating with her fan the elderly gentleman with the pink nose. My own complaint was cerebrospinal meningitis. My legs gave way under me, and I sank into my chair. As I did so, my hand touched Mabel's and I grasped hers tightly. It was cold as ice. Leaning toward me, she whispered in my ear, "'Don't make a scene. It is all quite true. You were run over an hour ago by a trolley-car.' Not daring to believe my senses, I replied, "'And this house—' "'Shh,' said Mabel. "'It is only the ghost of a house, the phantasmal reproduction of an old mansion that used to stand on this spot, where there has been an empty lot for fifteen years past.' "'I—I I think I understand,' I gasped. Then, though my brain swam, I made a tremendous effort to summon up my courage and face composedly this dreadful situation. Addressing myself to the old woman opposite, I said, "'Perchance you were acquainted with the former occupants of this dwelling?' "'Oh, yes,' she answered pleasantly. "'I am somewhat distantly related to our host and hostess of this evening. They were drowned—' lost on the ill-fated Ville de Paris. This house belonged to them, and not very long afterwards it was torn down. But suppose that the present owner of the lot were to build upon it, I suggested, it would be necessary to hold these charming entertainments elsewhere? Not at all, she said, laughing and waving her fan. The occupancy of the site by a real house would not interfere, it frequently happens, of course, that a building is put up on ground previously occupied by another dwelling. You must understand, though I might have supposed you knew it, that while the material parts of a tenement may be removed at any time, its astral shell remains in perpetuity. Thus the ghosts of half a dozen or more dwellings may remain on the site occupied by a new and substantial structure. They are none the less real for being invisible to living eyes." The most remarkable instances of haunted houses that you have heard about are due to conditions of that sort. Several families of phantasms, perhaps tentating premises topographically coincident with a mansion which affords physical accommodation to people in the flesh. I trust I make myself clear. Quite so, I answered politely. This conversation was interrupted by the elderly gentleman with the pink nose, who seemed to be dissatisfied with something. Having poured out a water goblet half full of sherry from a decanter, he called for brandy, and with those strong spirits filled it to the brim. Then he took a castor of red pepper and sprinkled its contents liberally on the surface of the mixture. Raising the goblet to his lips, he drained its contents to the last drop and set it down with a sigh. Ah! he exclaimed. It has no strength. If only I could get a schooner of real beer the old lady regarded this performance attentively with a lorgette held to her nose said she sympathetically that is the way with all pleasures in the afterworld. they seem to have no savour even the milk is chalk and water i suppose that is why this mince pie tastes so insipid i responded toying absently with a bit of pastry on my plate of course it is she said don't you see it is only the ghost of a mince pie then it seems that But at this point the banquet was suddenly interrupted by a convulsive swaying and creaking of timbers. The table rocked, and the lights in the silver candelabra flickered, and all was darkness. Then, through a ray of brilliant sunlight, I saw the strange dining hall, the gleaming table, and the ghostly banqueters all fade into the distance. Another moment of utter darkness, of creaking and swaying, during which I made a desperate effort to grasp and steady Mabel's chair. To my bewilderment, my hand touched a coil of rope. I heard familiar voices. There was a burst of sunlight. I sat propped up by cushions on the deck of the pleasure yacht Undine, surrounded by solicitous friends. Mabel, with her warm hand reassuringly clasped in mine, told me of my half-hour's unconsciousness. I had fallen overboard in my attempt to recover her hat, and had been rescued only after sinking for the third time. Not until I heard all this could I banish from my mind my horrible experience in the house of the dead. End of section two.